Welcome to part two of my conversation with Peter Adams. If you haven't had a chance yet, take a moment and go listen to part one. If you have already, here's side two. So when I came back to photography, um, you know, full time as a professional, it was, you know, it was like one, it was so high on my list of, of projects that I wanted to do just because I, it had been, it had made such an impact in my, in my personal life and my professional life. And I knew the story, I knew the power of open source and, you know, I, I just, you know, I just couldn't believe that there was you know, effectively zero photography documenting this amazing community of people doing this amazing work. Um, so that was, that was, that was where I dove into it. Yeah. The story of open source is so much told through code, I guess, as a medium of expression, perhaps, but having, you know, other, other media forms, uh, capturing that same essence is, uh, I think a, a nice way to fill it out a little bit. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, as much as it's code and projects, I mean, open source is really all about the people because without the people, there would obviously there would be no code. But without the personal stories of why people invest their time and energy in open source, it's that personal experience that leads people to open source. That's what I found in 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 my travels and talking to people. You know, this isn't people don't go into open source. Um, you know, like they go into a profession saying, oh, well, you know, I, I could be a lawyer, I could be a doctor, I could do open source. You know, that's not how it goes, right? People are somehow, there's a personal um, experience or, or, an Im- or something that has impacted them that has led them to open source. Whenever I discover that about somebody and I hear their personal story, that's that's one of the most exciting things about open source to me is just seeing the community through that collection of personal experiences. I would echo that completely, you know, through through every single one of the discussions that I've had here on this show, uh, I've discovered that every person has a story of how they came to open source or how it came into their life. And they're pretty varied, you know, like for you, that was, you know, surrounded by quite a bit of an important piece of history, but lots of, um, you know, it's in a professional setting and all of that. But, um, you know, for many people, it's been sort of passed on by their brother, uh, or in my case, or a friend who just suggests that, no, oh, I think you'd like this. You should check it out. Right. It's that really kind of intimate story that we all have connected to it that I agree is, uh, quite a powerful force and never really leaves us. Right. It doesn't. It's so, it's, it's so, it's so weird. Right. Because I mean, there's so few things that, um, stick with you, I think, <laughs> kind of like this. I mean, yeah, I've, you know, you're always into things, and you're you're into certain bands, or you're into certain music, or certain art, or 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 certain lifestyle, or whatever it is. Over the years, you know, that kind of comes and goes and fades away. The open source stuff doesn't. I don't ever see anybody say, "I was really into open source in the, in the early 2000s, but not anymore." You know, like that that has never happened. <laughs> I've, I've never heard that. That has never once ever <laughs> been, uh, you know, something I've ever heard. It's, you know, I, I meet these people, and I photograph people 
they've been doing it for 20 years. I've been doing it for, for a decade, you know, it's, you know, or they just discovered it and it's like all consuming and, you know, they've oriented their life where, you know, everything is open source now. And, you know, the, their whole career is, is geared around open source and they would never work for any, anything other than open source company. And I mean, it's just, it grabs you. Um, it's, 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 and, and I think really takes hold of you. I think once you embrace the philosophy it makes a lot of sense on so many levels that people have a hard time, a hard time, you know, seeing the world through another lens after that, right? Yeah, and I'm sure everyone listening can totally relate to that feeling. Um, and it's also true that uh, many who come to open source and invest their time into making open source better and building things uh, tend to keep with it until you know quite a late age as well. Like you don't ever really get out of it for for any reason <laughs> you know it's no way it's a, it becomes a part of your personality really yeah i mean you know a lot of look at the the folks at bell labs that were developing unix you know in the um in the 70s many of them are still writing code a, a lot of them work at, a lot of them work at google but many of them are, are are they're still writing code today and they've been writing code and doing different projects you know throughout um, you know, the decades. That's so amazing. And all open source. I mean, some, you know, some people have done commercial ventures alongside of that, but they've always contributed to, you know, a core open source project or, or, or added to the, the open source, you know, corpus, if you will, you know, over, over the decades, right up till today. It's, it's amazing. I, I I hope to join that group. You know, <laughs> I think <laughs> I know, you and I are well on our way. <laughs> We're pretty big, uh... right? We can only aspire. We can aspire to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I ask you some uh, maybe a bit more challenging questions because they're they're questions that I think are around the open source philosophy and how that integrates into our lives a little bit, uh, and certainly they are questions that I've thought about lots and lots. So um, you mentioned how you had that pretty powerful experience around open source uh, and dedicated to, you know, always then building the future projects around open source technologies. Uh, and so I guess the question I have is, was that a challenge for you when you came back into photography uh, when you did, considering that photography has been classically such a sort of commercial uh, software um, you know, there's, it's sort of a, a monocrop of software out there that almost every photographer uses. Was that a challenge for you? Oh my God. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I've been using Adobe Photoshop since version 3.0. And so I've kind of grown up with that. And, and then that's just been my way to wean myself out of the dark room and off of, of analog tools and into the digital world over, over the last decade. I've never really been in a position with Photoshop where I felt like I was hamstrung by it or, or, or locked into it. And I, but I would say like, that's maybe one of the only pieces of software where I felt that way. The other pieces of software, you know, uh, oh man, absolutely. I mean, I mean, <laughs> don't get me talking about, you know, digital asset management, and, right. you know, like all, all the, the, the wasteland of software products that I've used over, and I'm sure you've used over the years trying to organize your catalog, maintain metadata, publish stuff up to the internet, 
um, you know, do specialty processing on files or noise reduction. Mm-hmm. God, it's just, I mean, I have a folder that's just like, it's just a wasteland of stuff. Like a graveyard almost. <laughs> it's a graveyard. It's a total graveyard. And it's, it's super, it's super frustrating. And, you know, it's like you're, you're dealing with bugs and there's no way, there's nothing you can do. You're just, you're totally beholden on the software company fixing it. And, and I know there's, you know, that now there's, there's some good open source tools out there, but I, I tend to, you know, I think, you know, GIMP being the, you know, the, probably the, the best one and the most well-known one, I can't give up Photoshop for that. And also I have the whole hardware lock-in problem. I shoot with a phase one camera, which is a digital medium format camera. And, uh, I shoot tethered, you know, from the camera into the computer, you know, for most of my, you know, for all the portraits in this project and and most of my commercial work. And, you know, that goes into capture one, which is their software. And, you know, there's just, it produces the best results. And now if there was an open source tool that could seamlessly handle my phase one and the, you know, the hundred uh, megapixel files that come out of it and do it better than capture one in terms of image quality and workflow, I would absolutely use that. But because it's such specialty software, no one has really, really taken that up as open source, um, you know, at a level that, you know, would work as a professional, you know, for professionals, at least as far as I could tell, maybe it's out there and I just don't know about it. And, but that's been, yeah, that's been frustrating. I, I, and I've run into tons of bugs with their software and, you know, I know all the workarounds and, you know, it's, and, and I shake my head every time, you know, thinking, oh God, I just wish there was a community behind this that could improve this faster, Yep. you know, and, and God forbid that God forbid they go out of business or whatever, you know, I, that's always in the back of my mind. Absolutely. I echo those thoughts completely um, because, you know, the, the whole reason I got into open source s- so deeply was a lot of the same sort of worries that you were just mentioning. Um, you know, for a long time, I, I started, I guess I'm a slightly younger than you. So I started, you know, I was doing the Photoshop 7, which if if anyone, you know, has had darkroom experience and has used Photoshop around that time or even earlier as you did. Um, it's an amazing gift. Like the, the things you can reproduce digitally that you could accomplish previously, uh, in the dark room, just the ability to sort of repeat those steps digitally. So you can create, you know, the same effect on, on a, a series of photographs is like kind of mind blowing for photographers who have, who've started in the film industry, uh, or, or the film era, I should say. And so I don't disagree that Photoshop is an absolutely amazing thing for sure. And that's why, you know, not quite 90%, but it feels like 90% of photographers end up using it at some point. Um, but for me, I, so I had, you know, tons of experience doing that on windows and in Mac as well, and certainly used some phase one pro, uh, products and Hasselblad stuff. And so you kind of realize that it's quite, uh, quite a commercial industry around the whole photography industry. And that's great because it, has really come a long way very quickly if if you look at all the technologies that have had to come in place to 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 make the 
images that we can create now. You know, you're talking 100 meg files like it's nothing, but that was a big feat, right? Oh, it's huge. And and the and the quality coming out of it is like really unbelievable. You know, before you used to have to shoot eight by ten to get anything close to that. Um, and so I'm not suggesting at all that Photoshop and the phase one products and all of the commercial stuff is, is not great because it is. Um, but what worried me for a long time, once I sat down and started thinking, okay, if I'm going to run my photography business for a few decades, um, how are the, you know, how are these things going to start affecting me? And it was similar to the experiences that you had, you know, early in your, in, in the tech industry was, that anyone can change anything and you have little control over it. Yeah. So that is the kind of the thought process that threw me into open source uh, and gave me the challenge of trying to create a photography workflow that's 100% open source that would not compromise too much uh, the end product that I was trying to create, especially for clients. And is, is Photoshop part of that workflow for you? Or have you managed to wean yourself off of Photoshop as well? I've managed to create uh, a 100% open source wow. workflow, which is no small thing. Like you're saying, wow, because you know what? <laughs> super, that's super impressive. You know what goes into it, but it's not without its compromises, right? Like software like the GIMP or Krita are really impressive. Uh, you know, the minds that have gone into making that I can't even imagine how many hours went into creating that kind of stuff. Um, and yet, just because of the nature of it, they're implementing features all the time, but it's still not at the same place that some of the commercial software is, right? And you know that well, you're using this stuff on a daily basis. And so it's it has its compromises. Um, I would say the piece of software that's made it all happen for me uh, is a piece of software called Darktable um, that has come a long way in the last, uh, you know, seven or so years. Uh, and I would say now I end up spending 70% of my time there. Interesting. And for anyone who knows photography uh, software, it's it's much like Lightroom. It's almost like an, a Lightroom analog or alternative but not all photographers can accomplish what they need to in that one piece of software because it's designed to accomplish, you know, a certain workflow and it'll get you so far. I, wa I wonder if it, does it, do you know, does it handle phase one files? Do you know? <laughs> I don't know it, but I f have a feeling that you and I, after this conversation might dive in and go learn that. <laughs> yes, I think I may. I think on my wish list is to have a conversation much like this with some of the people uh, there who are creating Darktable and have have dedicated to um, making that wonderful piece of software. But yeah, maybe it maybe it is uh, the next step for you in sort of pushing those beliefs. But I I really don't know. I mean, the phase one stuff is pretty specialized. Uh, I know it's easy enough uh, for people in open source to sort of deconstruct, you know files from Canon cameras and Nikon cameras because there's, there's a huge user base. Right. Uh, but I really don't know what it's like for the face products, for instance, but hopefully there's some incentive. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll take a look at it. I mean, I think it's going to happen for me where I think the open source tools will at some point have, uh, you know, the critical mass of features that I need and rely on um, and I could start to use those because I mean, Photoshop is adding features at, at such a rate 
you know, and features that I just don't use. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it, this is the whole like Microsoft Word thing all over again, where, you know, you buy it because it's a word processor and then it's, you know, a to-do list and then it's a publishing, you know, platform and then it's a collaboration platform and it's all this stuff that <laughs> is not a word processor anymore. And that's when you just go to, uh, you know, an open source, you know, word processor because, you you only need 10 features to do, you know, to write your manuscript and you don't need, you know, the, the, the monolith that, that the, the commercial product has become. And I think the same thing is going to happen probably with Photoshop, um, maybe with Darktable as well. Maybe that's the project that really, you know, makes it happen on the, on the, on the digital side. Actually, these days, I think about that a lot less just because I find that the software, you know, for me is is working and I, I don't have as many issues there. I'm particularly excited about for, you know, in the photography world for open source to come in and just completely devastate what's happening are camera operating systems and lighting control. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I cannot wait for somebody to and I have seriously considered doing this myself. Oh, starting a lighting comp like a a, a um, lighting company around commodity lighting with open source software running it because there is so much that I want out of my lighting you know equipment and to be able to do that. I want to be able to program my lighting equipment to do certain things because, you know, like, like this project is a great example. You know, it's a six light setup. It's not the same light for everybody because you have to look at that, but you know, it's largely, you know, the same distance from the backdrop and, you know, you're using a similar modifier to make it consistent. And, you know, it's just like, it just getting your lights to, respond in a, in a consistent repetitive way and you're you know with the radio slaves and and triggering and all of that stuff is super funky it's just so funky it always has its problems and i think the skill of being a photographer is to always be dealing with those curveballs you know in real time totally and you have a catalog of things that can go wrong at any one point <laughs> You have a catalog of things that go wrong and you have like three backups. You know, like I have like three sets of radio slaves, like <laughs> from three different vendors. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, and, and you have to, because you could get into a position where like, oh, well, you know, the pro photo light, you know, the pro photo air is being blocked by, you know, you're in a studio or, or you're in a, 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 a stadium and, you know, there's lots of other radio going on and it's interfering. So you got to have a pocket wizard. So you have to do that. And, and it's just like <laughs> getting all this shit to work. And then like the rate of features that are not coming out from these vendors is so painful because you just see it and you're like, oh my God, please, please let me control the lighting temperature within the light. Like, please make make it possible for me not to have to cart around gels like like i i know it exists on like the the you know hot light side but like on the strobe side please like let me have that so and even the camera like phase 1 is wonderful and they they put out a lot of great features and phase 1's kind of a specialized platform and but there's little things that i know like would be really good ads and why can't I write that code and put that in my camera, right? And it, that's that's the that's the area, camera and lighting, to me, 
that is the most frustrating um, right now, at least. And I, I really hope, you know, if somebody came along, if anybody's listening and they want to start an open source professional photographer strobe company, you know, hit me up because I just think it would be it would be so impactful. I know so many photographers that would be like, oh yes, please, let's please do that. <laughs> well. You know, I've I've got my hand up, and I know a few people who um, know a lot about technology and are really passionate uh, amateur photographers and really good. Uh, my friend Alex, who also hosts Self Hosted here on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network, he's a massive photographer and very interested, and uh, I'm sure he would have his hand raised as well. So I, I feel like, you know, the beautiful thing about photography is, uh, at least I'll, I'll speak for myself, is that it can be very technical um, in a way that someone who easily latches on to the computer worlds can also appreciate. Like that for me was a really nice, um, not transition, but those two um, exist at the same time. Um, but also a really nice way to be creative as well. So I know a lot of people who do coding or are involved in tech and IT somehow who are also just in love with photography. So I feel like you might be surprised with how many people hit you up with that offer, you know? It's so necessary. I mean, also, and you look at like what's happening in the, you know, the um, smartphone photography world with all the sort of algorithmic photography you know, that's starting to happen now, all the algorithms that are at work, every time you press the shutter button on your iPhone or your Android, you know, it's taking seven pictures and averaging the exposure and applying a sharpening and, you know, uh, you know, stitching things together and doing a long exposure and blending and filtering, you know, it's just like the algorithms that are at work there are amazing. And, and Google and, and Apple have some of the best software engineers in the world. They have a little bit of a corner on that talent and I worry that some of these other camera companies, you know, that may not be able to get, you know, may not be able to access that talent. How do they compete? You know, like how, how, how do they stay abreast of, uh, and, and get access, you know, to the best tech and the best programmers or the best innovations. And to me, it's so obvious that it's open source. It's, it's, it's out there. So there's so many open source developers that are also, you know, into photography and could be contributing to these areas that if any of these companies opened up their platforms, even the slightest bit, I mean, even if it wasn't just like a totally, you know, open source OS, although I think phase one, I think when you start the camera, you're actually booting a Linux kernel. I, w I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I, I, and I think, I think the same is on Hasselblad and some of these other ones, you know, if the startup time is more than like a second, I think you're actually booting into Linux. <laughs> And um, that, that's not a dig on Linux. That's just to say there's like a full-blown OS. Yeah, there's a whole operating system booting in a few seconds, right? Which is amazing, right? And, th and that's, that's so cool. So like, can we please open that up? Like, because there'd be a flood of talent and innovation that would go into the space in a way that would be so phenomenal. And I just think like that's, that may be more impactful even than the, you know, the sort of, you know, um, um, image, you know, processing and manipulation side, just because so much can happen in the camera and, and between the lights these days. That's my personal, uh, my personal preference. If somebody's listening out there is working on it, please let us know because yeah. we're, we're ready for that. Absolutely. And it feels like then 
it's a it's a bit of a dream that I've had as well uh, to accomplish, uh, just to grow the dedication I've had to creating an open source post production process, um, but to open that up into the entire pipeline, right from from capture to to lighting to to sort of printing as well. So. Uh, I would love to dedicate my life to making that happen. Uh, I'm totally into that. So it's got to happen. I mean, I'm a little afraid that like there's this giant sucking sound into my iPhone and that like, you know, 10 years from now, you know, everything may, you know, we may, we, you and I are going to pack up our equipment and, you know, go on a job and it's going to be, you know, consist of six iPhones and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of lighting equipment. But, um, so I'm a little worried that like, photography there's this giant sucking sound into into the into the the mobile platforms um but you know there's a you know there are laws of physics that that are at work that thank goodness they're on our side <laughs> that are on our side in terms of you know just you want to have a, a certain amount of image quality and a certain size you've got to have you know glass that's got to have a sensor of a certain size and you got to have glass that's a certain size and so i think there's always going to be um camera companies that are going to, that are going to be servicing, you know, videographers and photographers. And I just, I just wish that one of them would realize that they can make it a competitive advantage to be open source, as opposed to keeping this whole proprietary arms race that's been going, you know, since, you know, since the beginning of time and use open source as a competitive advantage, be the open source camera company, be the open source lighting company, or at least have an open source component. Because I just think like they'll run away with the market. No, everybody, nobody wants to be locked into these proprietary systems that are so, that are so slow in the photography world. I mean, nobody, nobody I've ever met has been like, you know what? I'm really, really happy with the way the menuing system works on my Sony, or <laughs> I'm really, really happy with the way my, uh, you know, pro photo, uh, you know, light works, uh, you know, with this trigger or that trick. I mean, I I've never heard that before. Never it hasn't happened. So. Well, I think some people listening to this will certainly point us towards, um, some of the open source firmware that was, uh, able to be loaded onto certain camera, uh, certain Canon cameras. Uh, I don't know if that's still true, and I haven't really uh, owned um, any Canon cameras. Um, I know, me neither. <laughs> but but when I heard about that, and I, I've certainly seen it in action, and I've done some research around it, it was really exciting for all of the reasons that we're talking about here. Oh, I remember that, and I was so so excited about that, and then I and then I was like. I just don't own any Canon gear, you know, so <laughs> that's how I felt, <laughs> but it feels like, geez, that would be a nice place to go. And, and this conversation is reminding me a little bit about what's happening in the hardware sphere around computers themselves. You know, there's, um, there are a few open hardware vendors kind of trying their very best to make a difference out there. And, but it's not an easy place, right? It's dominated by, Lots of really big commercial giants. Yeah. And, you know, and also, you know, I, I know you know this, photographers don't have any time, you know, to to really, I mean, you and I may, you know, we, we would love to burn a weekend on, you know, on this problem and, you know, uh, working around something on our own and scratching our own itch. But, you know, there's many months where we just don't, we're not going to have that time. Right. So the, the equipment has to work. It has to be bulletproof. It has to be supported. 
And I think, you know, every time I say that, I, I just I just have these flashbacks to my son Oracle, you know, EMC storage days and thinking the same thing, right? And of course. And I, I just know how that story ends. And I, I know that this is, you know, this is exactly the same. You know, this is exactly the same issue, just with a completely different technology domain. So it's going to happen here. It's just a question of who's going to do it and, you know, and when, and if it's one of the existing manufacturers that, you know, becomes enlightened and, and gets the religion or whether a new manufacturer is going to come along and, 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 and change the game, use open source and change the game. Right. And that, that'll be, that'll be super exciting. You know, either way, I'm 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 good either way, <laughs> but uh, I just hope somebody does it soon. <laughs> well, I yeah, I hope you and I are both around to see that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. For sure, we need it sooner than later. I feel like I know. Uh, in terms of photography, um, have you put any thought around the emergence of some of this artificial intelligence stuff in developing, you know, portraits and things like that. Cause I've heard a, a few stories recently of AI creating some really interesting, at least I very much hesitate to call them portraits <laughs> for an obvious reason, uh, which is that I don't want to equate them to the craft that you and I, uh, spend all of our time on, but, um, there's some interesting stuff happening out there. I mean, I haven't really. I mean, you know, the the closest I come is, you know, on the iPhone with, you know, all the portrait lighting effects that Apple introduced and, you know, all the algorithms that are at work. And even there's some good algorithms actually, even on the phase one now for um, for long exposures and, and things like that. But in terms of AI, in terms of stylistic preferences or or things like that, I haven't really, I haven't really, haven't really delved into that. What What have you been seeing that you, that has been intriguing you? Well, yeah, I think where I'm going with this is, you know, artificial intelligence has been really impressive in many areas and digital photography, if you look at it, is just, it's really just, you know, you, you and I are taking real life and digitizing it in, in some ways, if you look at it through that lens. Um, and so some might argue that you can create that digital version from scratch using some intelligence instead of real life. Uh, and so the way I've been thinking about it is, in in terms of what is the future of photographers and photography. Uh, and I don't know that that's coming soon, but if we're, we're peering into the future, maybe 20, 30 years or so, uh, you know, I'm just throwing a number out there, but what do I know? Uh, it feels like um, crafted images uh, coming out of some, you know, a few algorithms, at least I see it kind of in the, in the sphere of stock photography first, you know, you have a lot of photographs that are not necessarily tied to a specific person or individual, uh, but are really useful for a bunch of other reasons. And so I've been just seeing artificial intelligence as a really interesting hmm, expansion of who we are as photographers. And it both intrigues me and scares me at the same time. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, that. what was that project? Was it the research group? Was it Samsung? Or I forget which research lab came out with like the ability to create portraits of, of like fake people from photographs of real people. Oh man. Yeah. Right. Like it was like, it, it was like, it, it was like these incredible, like, you know, photos you weren't like, Oh, that's like a Photoshopped photo. It was like, no, that's like, 
that's like a real person, but that person actually doesn't exist. It's the eyes from one person and the hair from another and the, the facial structure from a third. And, you know, the algorithms are able to produce these lifelike, you know, very real photorealistic, you know, images of people from the source material. I think that's fascinating. And I think, you know, from an art- artistic standpoint, I mean, there's tons of photographers today that are doing such, you know, incredible photo manipulation and, you know, I think that there'll be a whole realm of art, you know, much like the, I don't know how familiar you are with the whole um, processing space, um, all the um, generative art that's being um, generated using JavaScript and, you know, data and, and um, uh, using uh, programs like um, P5.js and processing.js that are doing all this sort of like algorithmic artwork, all from data which is, I'm personally super fascinated by that. Um, so I think it'll be, I think it's going to happen. Um, how will it, it, how will it aid us as professionals? <laughs> you know, e- ego wise, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, I want to think, oh, well, you know, damn algorithms never going to do it better than you and I are going to be able to do it. <laughs> but I think that, you know, the, the AI will, you know, be really helpful in, in, automation. I mean, I personally, I would like to just be like, to be able to go into a shoot and open up a case, have five drones pop out. And, (laughs) you know, the AI is like, oh, you wanted Rembrandt lighting? Great. Let me get in position. You know, like to me, that's, that's what I want. That's a, you know, I could see that being like super impactful, but I'm still driving the boat, right? I'm still saying, oh, Rembrandt lighting or, you know, or, uh, you know, put a, put a flag over there and you're automating your photography assistants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd be, I may be more like a little bit more like machine learning where, where the algorithm's like, Oh, Pete likes his flags on the right, not the left, you know, like, <laughs> like stuff like that. I could be, I could see that being like really super helpful. Um, but you know, maybe it gets to a place where, you know, you and I are, are, you know, deploying the algorithms and, and not much else. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. <laughs> Well, I think it's interesting to look at it as a toolkit, really, which is what you alluded to there is, is you know, the, this, the cameras in our hands and the software that we throw those images into, uh, and even, you know, the printers and all that stuff, they're just tools to allow us to be expressive. And so as our tools evolve, so too do our expressions. Uh, and so those of us who I think are keen to stay with those, uh, leaps in technology kind of get to create in a totally different way. Uh, if, if we're willing to, to bring those things in some, some people unfortunately get caught up in, uh, you know, the, uh, it's almost seen as a rivalry, you know, when, when new innovative tools like that, um, come into play, but if you're open to them, man, can you create some really different things or approach, you know, typical problems in a really different way? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're totally right with that. And I, I think maybe, maybe, you know, the place that that comes in first is in post-processing, right? Because I mean, if we had an algorithm, if we had a, an AI that could go through, you know, a thousand layered Photoshop files and know all of the, all of the layered edits that I, that I typically do, or you typically do on your portraits or, you know, on certain types of events or whatever it is, it's absolutely possible for an AI to learn, you know, your style, learn Peter's style, learn Brent's style. And welcomed, I would say. Exactly, right? Because so much of that is a, 
you know, uh, um, it's an iterative process. Yes. But it, there's a style that you have as a photographer that, that comes out. There's a thread through your post-processing of everything you do, just like there's a thread through mine. And so to have an AI be able to pick up that thread and, and learn that thread so that it can apply it for you without you having to do 60 edits over two days because you got to think about it more. And <laughs> if the AI is like, look, I know tomorrow you're going to wake up and think this is crap. So uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to delete these four layers and I'm going to add these six because I, you really like these in the last hundred edits. <laughs> I could see that. That could be kind of cool. For those who don't know photography quite that much, like uh, capturing photographs with your camera is definitely uh, quite obviously a really important part of it. But the editing after the fact is almost 50% of it, I would say, you know, you, you need both to be great. Um, but there's such a creative expression in that process as well. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. If, 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 you know, we continue with this imagination that you have where that process can be captured and repeated easily. Maybe you'll agree with me, but I won't speak for you, but I would totally welcome sitting at my computer less and being out into the world, capturing photographs more, uh, if I could be certain that the output was still within the realms of the kind of things I, I love, but I would totally welcome that. You know, just as a, as a professional photographer, you're always managing your time and so much of, of your, so many of your shoots and your projects and the way you schedule your time is all around trying to find efficiencies, right? So, you know, let's shoot a collection of subjects together. Let's, let's do the capture, you know, on the same day in the same studio, bring everybody in because we, we can just keep shooting and we don't have to, you know, start and stop and things like that. And the same with post-processing, like then let's have a week where we just go through and do all the post-processing together and make it consistent. So it's, it's, it's a huge consideration, um, you know, on what you're trying to do, you know, to get this, you know, to manage your time and, and apply this, 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 your style and, and effectively batch up your work mm -hmm. so that you can get some kind of efficiency on it. So yeah, an AI could change that game. I mean, it, that could be, that would be super welcome. You wouldn't be locked in your studio, you know, for a week after a shoot, you know, just doing editing, you could actually be shooting every day and the computer could be applying your style for you. That would be awesome. And if you grow that a little bit, and see it as open source AI, if we can build such a thing, man, those, those kind of preferences and scripts can be shared around and modified and combined and all that stuff. It would be a really quite a wonderful creative exercise, really. Yeah, no, I, th I think so. I mean, there's, you have like a hint of that right now with the sort of like recipes and Lightroom. I don't know if Darktable has a similar thing, but like people sell, you know, like Lightroom presets and Photoshop filters and, you know, the sort of Instagram filter, you know, effect, but you know, that's just like, that's like a blunt instrument, you know, I mean, we're, you know, an AI would come in and be like, you know, you know, being able to apply selective contrast to different parts of a face because it just knows like you like more contrast over here. That this specific person needs this specific. Yeah, exactly. So it's coming. I'm sure of it. Oh man, you're getting me all excited. <laughs> <laughs> we just ho hopefully it'll be open source and not uh, not some proprietary uh, yeah. black box. Yeah, not a fan of black boxes. No, black box is not so good. I've been I've, I feel like I've been trying to rub you know paint off the side of black boxes for a long time. <laughs> 
Um, you mentioned that uh, in the past you've been to a few conferences. Do you have any lined up yet uh, where you're hoping to be capturing a few of these photographs? This year, I'm just thinking the the one that is closest out is the Red Hat Summit, uh, which this year is actually going to be in San Francisco. I have I photographed. I had a great time two years ago. I did a whole bunch of of photography around that conference. And so I hope to do that one again this year. The folks at All Things Open are super supportive and they, they've invited me. I shot there a couple of years ago. They invited me last year and they've kind of given me an invitation for this year as well. So, or hopefully, hopefully I can do that conference again. That's sort of at the end of the year. The middle, I'm not sure yet. That's a, we'll, we'll see. But those two are ones that I kind of have penciled in, you know, in my calendar as placeholders right now. I was just speaking i mentioned my friend alex earlier uh he's he's a redhead employee and uh so he i guess he does a little bit of everything he's kind of one of those amazing people um but he was talking about uh red hat summit and how great it is but he was also in the same breath mentioning all things open and how that's kind of in his backyard and and was mentioning how maybe i should join him there too so maybe if the stars align you and i might get to meet Ooh, that would be awesome perhaps at all things open, which would be a real, a real treat. That's I think in October, if I remember correctly. Yeah. It's like, it's towards the end of the year. I know. Yeah. It's always a, I try to do like a New York, you know, tack it onto a a New York trip. Since you're in the neighborhood. Yeah. It's just a question of, you know, making the the logistics happen. (laughs) It's all logistics. Yeah. It's all logistics. Well, that would be uh, really exciting. I think it would be a real treat for those who get to see uh, some of your work either exhibited at some of these if you get that opportunity or even just the chance to photograph a few more um, pioneers uh, in open source. Uh, can't wait to see those. Yeah. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about this project is there's so open source is such an evolving thing and there's so many new new projects, new contributions, new applications. So it's, it's, there's, there's always, I'm always finding out about new people and new contributions. Um, and I, I have, you know, I have a running, you know, huge research list of hundreds <laughs> of people on it that I'm constantly, you know, reviewing and 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 trying to find people to photograph. So great, yeah. It sounds like you won't soon run out of great people to photograph. No, no way. Not with not with not with this community. It's it's just a it's a burgeoning community. So <laughs> that's amazing to hear. Great. Um, I wanted to ask you a question uh, that you might want to send out to the communities and to the listeners. Um, is there something that you would like listeners to to think about or to try or go and see something you'd like them to experience? Uh, anything at all? I would say, you know, there's probably two things that uh, that I've been, you know, particularly interested in most recently. You know, the first one I actually mentioned already, which is... Um, the whole um, generative art category where people are using these open source tools, mostly around processing and JavaScript. And there's a library written by um, Lauren McCarthy, who's an artist out here in LA, and she created this tool called p5.js. And it's just so cool. And it just, it's used to create all this like really cool algorithmic art and visualization work. And there's a whole community of artists and her her artwork also is is particularly and her projects are particularly cool. So I would I would encourage everybody to check out Lauren's work, Lauren McCarthy and p5.js. 
Um, and just that whole world, you could just, you could burn an afternoon easily just diving into that. You, you might have just scheduled in an afternoon for me this week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like, it's like open source art and, you know, data visualization, JavaScript. It's, it's, it's got a lot, there's a lot there, a lot, lot there to like. Um, the other thing that I've been really interested in recently is, Open access, data, open access data and sort of open data movement in general. You know, and I photographed some some folks from Wikipedia, but you know the work that Carl Malamud is doing around making the law accessible is fascinating. Like I I never really knew this until I started digging into his work, but there's a lot of state law and like you know and stuff as mundane as like building codes and fire codes and stuff like that, that is locked behind like paywalls. That seems unbelievable because those are expected to be followed by masses of people. And they are. And because of that, there's wonderful businesses out there that are able to, (laughs) are able to extract, you know, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars for access to, to, to basically the law essentially to the law. And he has just, you know, been a crusader on getting that, um, all of this, you know, legal documents and, and the law online, freely accessible, you know, rekeyed in, typed in, you know, he's like, he's got lawsuits and stuff before, you know, the U S court of appeals that people have tried to stop him. And his website is just fascinating. And I mean, I, so I would, I would encourage people to dig into him, um, and his website, which is, um, public.resource.org and just learn about kind of what he's doing and support him because in this day and age where institutions are, you know, especially in the U S here, but I think really around the world in general are, are under a lot of, uh, under a lot of pressure, um, and the rule of law is under a lot of pressure, um, you know, what can we do to help, you know, bolster democracy and, and access to the law and, and, and strengthen our, our civic, you know, institutions. I think his work is more important now maybe than ever before. So I would encourage people to check him out too. I think that's a, that's another, that's another, uh, uh, another Saturday you could easily, uh, <laughs> easily burn on, on digging into that whole, into his work in that whole world. Wow. That sounds like someone who's dedicating their time to, to that kind of, challenge uh so worthwhile and sounds like such an important area for all of us to benefit from yeah and it's even more impressive he's doing it around the world so it's not just in the u.s he's also uh he was just in india i think he's he's also doing it for the government there so it's it's a it's a global crusade if you will um and um i think he's really at the forefront of this so it's definitely worth taking a look at his work and and digging into that website. Yeah. And it sounds like work that feels like we need more now around the world than ever, really, with things going digital and some of the unfortunate uh, directions that some governments have been going with data and data hoarding and protection and that kind of stuff. So I I really welcome that that sharing. If you're going to have a democracy and <laughs> you certainly want the law to be accessible right <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> seems, seems obvious but it does it's but it's not it's great it's crazy carl carl knows that better than anybody i think so 
Oh man, I, I I wonder what inspired him to kind of dedicate his time to this. That would be a, that would be an equally great chat, I think. He has a fascinating story, and it goes back like I, I won't spoil it as you dig into it, but it go, it goes back to the to the early days of commercial internet in the '90s, getting the SEC Edgar uh, filing database online, and and so it's it's he's got a really rich history doing this for a long time. So it's it's cool stuff. It reminds me of some of the work that's happening like at the EFF and uh, the Software Freedom Conservancy and those kind of organizations that I think often we just take for granted that they exist. And yet I, I think we shouldn't like they're doing work that probably a lot of us hold dear to our hearts and really believe in, but just don't have the time or the expertise to, to do ourselves. Right. So, uh, we, we got to support these, these organizations, organizations and these people as much as we possibly can. Yeah. I mean, the, the two biggest ones in the sort of open data world, um, and sort of open knowledge access, Wikipedia is just incredible. Obviously that's, that's the one that everybody knows the internet archive also, I mean, people have probably interacted with the internet archive, through the Wayback Machine and looking for, you know, I was looking for a web page that no longer exists anymore, maybe, but um, or your high school MySpace page or whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is that you're trying to find from, you know, uh, make sure is or is not accessible. But the Internet Archive also has all this amazing. They have an entire scanning operation, and they're scanning in books. They're scanning in um, recordings from lifted from 45, you know, uh, vinyl. I mean, it's just, it's incredible the, the archive, you know, what's in that archive, the classic computer games, which is actually one of my favorite console, old console games, you know, um, that you, that used to play in the arcades, you know, those are all accessible in the internet archive. And it's just, this stuff is, you know, as, as, as wonderful as the web is the one thing, um, you know, that is not built into it is, is, is archival. So, you know, the web is constantly growing and dying and parts of it are fading away. And the internet archive is kind of, you know, has stepped in and really is, um, the, the mechanism that, that is, is filling that gap, but it's also the mechanism filling that gap for the world's libraries with books that are out of print and public domain and all of that. Yeah. And not just that, but also soft and, and, and software as well, old software. Um, so it's fascinating. You, you could spend an entire, you know, way more than a Saturday. You could spend your whole weekend in the internet archive or your whole month in the internet archive. But I just think like those things are, they're a little bit of the personification of open source, like not just from the the data, but also a lot of the technology that's used to operate all that stuff is, you know, it's, there's open source underneath all that too. So it's an accessible thing for a lot of people can really wrap their head around it. Aren't we lucky? That's cool. That's cool stuff. (laughs) Have you considered um, doing a self-portrait of yourself for this Faces of Open Source project? Because it sounds like you're an important piece of that as well. That's a great question. I have not considered doing that. Would you? I would consider it, but uh, I would say I'm... uh, slightly uncomfortable in terms of my contributions compared to the contributions of, of the people that are, that are being photographed, you know, so much of, you know, I, I try hard as a photographer, not to insert myself into the story, right. Just cause I think it changes the story. And I realize in this case, you know, there's, there's, there's some open source, you know, nature to what's happening here, but 
for the most part, it's a documentary project and, and, um, you know, just like a documentary filmmaker wouldn't write themselves into the script of a documentary necessarily, unless you're, um, Werner Herzog, (laughs) um, you know, uh, you know, certain documentary filmmakers do do that and it works out Michael Moore and, and folks do a great job of doing that. I have, I haven't felt like I would add anything to the project by being a part of it. I've never, but I have to admit, I've never really spent a lot of time considering it. I appreciate your perspective there because, um, when you said, uh, inserting yourself into it changes the project, I think you're completely right. Uh, there is, I think, as you know, there are many photographers in the industry who sort of lead with ego first, uh, and that often is attractive and useful in many ways, uh, and yet changes the work, right? Um, and if you are trying to be a bit more documentary in nature and complementary to the people in front of the camera, um, instead of focusing on yourself, uh, I could see why that would change things. So your answer is making me reflect even more on my question, <laughs> which is a, it's a good sign. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate that answer for sure. It just changes the dynamic a little bit. Certainly. You know, I'd have to think about it more, but I, I've never considered doing that for other projects. Um, I think, you know, if it was, um, you know, if I was a significant contributor to some massive open source thing and, you know, or something like that, and the fact that I was included made the project possible or something like that, then maybe, but I don't think any, any of that is, is, is happening here with this project. Well, I think what's interesting and, and really what the crux of my question was, uh, is just to sort of nudge you towards a little bit of self-reflection and to acknowledge that the project you're doing here is really important and it's a bit of a gift to the open source community and there's real personality in those photographs and i think that's what really drew me to them uh you know i've I've looked at a number of photographs in my day and uh the thing that attracted me to the series you've created is that you can you can read the person's personality in each of the photographs that you've done of them uh and that is not always that straightforward or that easy to accomplish. Uh, and so browsing through the photographs, even if you don't recognize the people, um, it's a, it's really fun to go through and see sort of the different types of personalities that are included in this wild and crazy thing we call open source. Um, but also you get to sort of click on these faces and learn about the people and be surprised about where they've put their time and how much history they may have or, uh, you know, how young they might be and are totally diving in. So uh, it felt to me, at least when I've been going through it, and it takes a few sessions because there's a lot of them, but um, it feels like a total ride and an education in just everyone who's made what we're living possible. So, uh, I, I found it really super fun, <laughs> super entertaining. So, uh, from that angle too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I'm, 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 I love, I love hearing that. And I'm so, so glad that you're, you're, uh, you're digging it. It is fun to learn about, learn about the people I try to include in the captions that we do. Um, something also, you know, about the person's extracurricular activities, if you will, because, What's also really interesting about the people in the project is that a, a, a good number of them 
do way more than just open source, right? Like the, you know, they 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 may have a whole nother superpower <laughs> that is not even you you would never think, you know, whether it's um Ken Thompson invented Unix, you know, with Dennis Ritchie, but Ken is also, you know, an accomplished, you know, pilot. Uh yeah, one thing I've mentioned here before is uh what I'm really fascinated in and that you're discovering as well is that juxtaposition be- between all of a person's experience and the contributions they make to, to a great number of areas in life. Right. And, and that's what makes us all quite unique. And I feel really fascinating. You know, every single person has this quite interesting story to tell and uh, you're helping to tell that in a little way. Uh, Peter, if, if people wanted to get connected with you uh, or to, I guess, to see some of these photographs, uh, where would they, where would they go for that? I mean, the best place to view the project is online um, at facesofopensource.com. And, you know, all the portraits, I put all the portraits up there and you can kind of click through the slideshow of them all with the captions. Um, and there's links there back to my my professional photography website as well. So if you want to see more photography, there have been some interesting sort of adjunct projects that have come out of this that I have on my other, on on my Peter Adams photo dot com website yeah i was digging into those a little earlier there's uh there's one on printed circuits which is really it's like portraits of circuit boards which is really fabulous and really interesting yeah we could talk for another hour about that (laughs) well peter uh thank you so much for connecting with me and for chatting about some of your life's experience in open source and this photography project it's been it's been really fun hey man thank you for having me and uh it's been an honor to, to to spend some time talking to you Well, thank you. Yeah, and hopefully uh, maybe we get to meet at at some of these conferences at at one point. That would be a real treat. Yes, let's make that happen. Yeah, that would be amazing. Thanks, Peter. 